Thank you, music team, and thank you, David, for leading in uh, this time of worship together in song and in our family worship with our kids as we continue to pray for them as they go downstairs and learn from God's Word as well. Uh, it's good to be here this morning as we gather together. Uh, it's a joy to be with you, uh, worshiping our God. This morning we're going to be continuing in our series of Acts, uh, in Acts 2, at the very end of Acts 2. The Fellowship of the Believers. I don't know if you've heard this phrase before, but I've seen it going around on social media. Some people will say it uh, in person as well, but uh, they'll have a, a post or some kind of image of uh, people gathering together, maybe with guitars and singing out on the street or something, and say, this is the church, or this is what the church should be. This is what the church should be like. The odd thing is, is that they don't seem to bring the Bible into it much, and it's really just a set of their own thoughts and opinions of what they think the church should look like or should be. But God's very clear in His Word as what the church is. Because is that the church? Is it just people gathering and playing guitar and singing songs and that's it? What does a true gospel-believing, Jesus-following, God-glorifying church look like? What do they do? Pastor Nate last week preached on most of Acts, he took the bigger section. Thankfully, he gave me the uh, slightly shorter section at the end. <clears throat> but he went through, as, as Peter preached this amazing sermon, this fisherman, and dwelt with the Holy Spirit to preach from God's Word, both in Joel, the prophet Joel, and Psalms. And as people heard what Peter was saying about who Jesus was and what Jesus did, they were cut to the heart, and they said, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Believe in Jesus for, uh, for your sins to be forgiven. And 3,000 souls were added as the Lord worked into these people's hearts and called them to himself. And so as the Spirit moves powerfully in believing and repentant believers, definitive things happen in their hearts and in their actions, in their life. There is a change that happens. And so as we continue and finish off Acts 2, we'll see that there's some things that are prescribed of what the church should be doing, but also some descriptions of outcomes, of what it looks like. It might not always look like this in every church, but there are things that happen. And what we see is a glimpse of what the church ought to be in Acts 2, of what it should be like, a taste of the fulfillment of coming restoration in eternity with Christ and fellow believers. So let us let Acts 2 define what the church would be and not our own opinions. So let us read together Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. If you turn with me there. Acts 2, starting in verse 42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Holy God, may we stand in awe of you, of your holiness, your majesty, your power, as we hear from your word this morning, God, as you speak to us by your word. Your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. Lord, grant us a hunger for your truth, for your word. Guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another. Help us apply this passage to our lives today that we would be changed by your word through the working of your Holy Spirit, that we would be obedient followers of Christ. And Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and gentleness, God, with humility, as it's you who works through your word and changes hearts. God, that you would be centered, that you would be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So as we look at the end of Acts 2, this short little section, we see two things. First, we see that these believers were devoted. They were devoted. And this word devotion in the Greek, it actually is two words together. The first word meaning to possess certain characteristics. They possess certain characteristics. And the second word combined with that is to continue in something with intense effort. I'm sure we've seen people with devotion before. I have a lot of friends who are really into sports. Uh, I like to play sports, but I'm not into like watching sports and following sports. But these, these guys were devoted. They were very devoted. They knew players' names. They seemed to know their families and their names and all these stats and all these plays. And they were devoted to their teams. Their devotion showed in their actions and the things that they did and the things that they knew. And so same with these believers, their devotion to God was shown in their character and their willingness to pursue in that, to persevere, to keep going in their devotion. And this is why persecution and suffering is so important in the church and so important in the life and the growth of a believer because it's difficult to follow God and it's challenging, yet God uses it to test and to prove our faith, to strengthen our faith in Him, to continue to be devoted, to continue to persevere in what He has called us to. Where the church is for those who are truly devoted to Christ, who are saved in Christ, who are resting in Christ, true faith and repentance, devoted to the same things together. But don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that unsafe people aren't welcome in the church. Because you are welcome. If you are here and you are not following Christ, you are welcome here. We love that you are here. But if you're unsaved here, you may feel a little out of place. And that's okay. Because at this time, we are devoted to different things. Right? There was a difference between these believers, these 3,000 souls that are cut to the heart, that were devoted to, to God to live for Him as they rested in Christ, and those who weren't. A true Christian will look different from a non-Christian in their devotion to God, in how they deal with sin, in how they respond to God's Word, in what they believe, in how they live out of a saving faith in Jesus. James 4, 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
And so this devotion, this commitment that they had to Jesus separated them from the world and changed their devotion. And so what does this devotion look like? As we look at verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves firstly to the apostles' teaching. So that brings up two questions. Who were the apostles and what were they teaching? So the apostles, although sometimes this word apostle was used generically of someone who's sent out on the authority of that person who sent them, the word apostle commonly referred to the apostles, the specific men who were chosen by God to lay the foundation of the church after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. It was God's chosen leadership. These 11 whom Jesus chose because Judas betrayed him. There was those 11 in Acts 1, uh, 1 verse 2. Jesus taught them and they witnessed his ministry and they continued to go and proclaim the gospel and teach what Jesus had taught them as they laid the foundation for the church. We read later on in Acts 1 that they added Matthias to that group after they prayed and trusted God to choose for them who would replace Judas. And then later, a few others would be uh, called apostles. Paul, who was once Saul, Barnabas, and James, Jesus' brother. We see in verse 43 that these apostles performed wonders and signs. They did this as Jesus also performed miracles. There were signs that were pointing to who Jesus was and solidified his message and his authority. And so these signs that the apostles did solidified and proclaimed of the gospel that they were sharing with those around them. And they continued to set this foundation and lead with Jesus' authority given to them the mission and the message of Jesus through his people, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. They were leading the charge. And now at this time, as we, as we think about this, we have, we have elders and pastors to shepherd and to teach and to care for. As the people submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so we as members submit ourselves to the elders, to the pastors that God has put over us to teach, to care for, to lead, to guide in God's word. The church submits to their authority and leadership, as 1 Peter 5, 5 says, as they grow under their teaching of God's word. And so what were these apostles teaching? See, Jesus walked with these men for three years, teaching them of God, of who he was, of what he was going to do. And then after he died and rose again, he taught them more and sent them out, as we see in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, to go and proclaim all that he has commanded them, to obey. And so as a church, God's revealed word breathed out by God is our foundation of truth. They taught God's word, and so we too ought to teach God's word. It needs to be proclaimed and explained that people would hear the gospel and respond to its truth and live it out for God's glory, to be on mission. And we see that this is what Peter did not too long before this in Acts 2. As he proclaimed God's word in the prophet Joel in the Psalms, He used God's word as the Spirit worked in that to call 3,000 to faith. As he proclaimed that we are sinful, but Jesus was perfect. He was the Son of God. And yet he died for our sins. He was killed on the cross 
But he rose again and paid that price and bore the wrath of God upon himself and said it was finished. He rose again and calls us to believe upon him with faith and receive grace abounding, overflowing, as we are made righteous with a new heart and a new life, now firm in Jesus, awaiting eternal glory with God. God's word is important. God's word is what he uses to bring a people and save them as he calls them to himself through his word. And so the importance of God's word in the church was proclaimed throughout the New Testament epistles as Paul uh, says with Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.6 and 1 Timothy 4.13 and 16. In 2 Timothy 4, he says to preach the word. But even in the Old Testament, God's word to his people in obedience to it, to devote themselves to it, was vital for them to thrive in relationship with him and one another. It wasn't just his word to say, go and obey, but it was vital to actually knowing God and having relationship with God. Deuteronomy 6, 6 uh, to 7 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And we've seen the result. We see it in the Old Testament with the Israelites. When they neglected God's word, when they neglected what God said to them, what God commanded them, there was relational destruction with God, with one another, And we see what happens when a church does the same. When a church neglects God's word, when a church pushes it away, when a church doesn't make it central or doesn't believe that it's all true, that it's not really God's word breathed out to us. When a church gets rid of the gospel, it loses all truth, foundation, and spirals into heresy and false teaching, and it begins to reflect the world and not our holy God. This is why we as a church put such an emphasis on God's word. This is why we gather together like we do right now this morning to hear God's word proclaimed. It's necessary for God's church to proclaim and teach God's word. And so as a church, we want to preach God's word, we want to sing God's word, we want to pray God's word, and we want to read God's word together. We want to make it central, because without it, we don't have a foundation of truth at all. Without it, we cannot truly come to know our God and to know and rest in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. God's word is vital. And so I implore you, I encourage you to get into the word. Get into the word at home, with your family, with others from the church. Know it, learn it, live it. Come face to face with God and respond in worship to him. In our church, we have many ways that you can do this in our discipleship group, community groups. For those who are younger, our youth group, we open God's word together, we learn of who God is, and we worship him out of that. And from God's word flows how we live as a church, how we live with one another, worshiping and loving our God and loving one another. And so we see what happens next is there is also a devotion to fellowship. Fellowship together. Fellowship You can think of it as the the share that one has in something, the participation that they have, or an intimacy and partnership or membership that they have with one another. 
The word fellowship always makes me think of Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring, for any of you nerds out there. Yeah. But when I think of the word fellowship, that's often what comes to mind, right? You have uh, the, the, the fellowship of the ring as a, a group that's devoted to a common goal as they go together uh, to succeed in this mission that they have. But how much of a fellowship would it be if when they came together and they said to Frodo, you have my axe and my sword and my bow, and then they just stayed there and sent little Frodo on his own? That wouldn't be much of a fellowship, would it? That would be terrible. (laughs) Poor Frodo. They went together, right? They went together on a commitment to see this mission through, through danger and peril, near-death experiences, lost friends along the way. They made new ones and brought others along. It was difficult. It was treacherous. And Frodo would not have succeeded if he did not have those people with him, helping him, guiding him, walking with him. See, these believers in Acts 2 would have sacrificed much, if not everything, in their belief to Jesus. Their families and friends may have shunned them. They may have lost many things. Their devotion to certain ways of life would have changed. There, there is a heart change and a different devotion in a believer from a non-believer. And sometimes it can feel isolated and lonely. There's a book that we have in our library at the cafe called Corporate Worship by Matt Merker. And as he explains what it means to truly worship God, he teaches on what it means to actually be a worshiping community of believers. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it. It really changed my perspective on what it actually means for us to gather corporately together and worship. He says that although we're called to offer our individual lives and sacrifice to God in faith, as Romans 12 says, we are still saved into a community. And God has related to us not just as individuals, but as a corporate body, as a family. He points to Ephesians 2, where we're no longer strangers, but citizens with the saints in the household of God. There's lots of community and group language that is used in the Bible to describe those who are saved by faith. And so we're born again, but we're born again into God's family. Him as our Heavenly Father, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see this fellowship and what it looks like in this early picture of the church as they were together. They assembled together. They were together in person, physically together. They had all things in common. They were caring for the poor in their group, giving generously of what they had to help others. They were praising and worshiping God together, praying together, sharing meals together, as they're devoted to the same mission of sharing the gospel and living it out daily, day after day. And so this is why as a church, membership is so important. As we devote ourselves to live for God, we commit to a local church, a local body, as we serve together, as we worship together, as we love one another. For we cannot practice these things that God's called us solo. As we're devoted to the same things, as a church, we affirm that we are living out of our faith. We're here to encourage and rebuke and guide one another and point each other to the gospel. One of my favorite bands, King's Kaleidoscope, has a song called Same Blood. And when I listen to it, I'll be honest, I think of you. Fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers here in this church. And part of the song, they say this, I still need you, Father, trusting in this great unknown. 
I still need you, mother. Comfort me until we're home. I still need you, sister. Tell the truth and dare to dream. And I still need you, brother. Strengthen me and help me see. We all need each other. See, we're showered in the same blood of Christ that has bought us and brought us together. As 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, we are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he brings us into a community together, sinners, now saints, to love one another as God has loved us. And yet so often we can have this attitude, and I'm guilty of this as well, where we're kind of like, ah, it's just me and God and we're good. As long as me and God are good together, then everything's fine. And we kind of just neglect everyone else around us, right? We kind of think of our faith in our life as this individual relationship with God, but God doesn't say that or show that at all. He does save us individually, but he saves us into a family. He calls us to regularly gather with one another and be a family to one another. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The reality is, is it's difficult to be together. It's tough. It's hard. People sin. It's funny that we sometimes think when we come to church, people won't sin, but we're a group of sinners saved by grace. It makes things complicated. It makes things difficult to live out at times. And it's hard to confess. It's hard to bear with one another. It's hard to forgive one another. I know growing up, I hated confessing sin. I loved to hide sin. But that's not a true sign of saving grace, of what Christ has done for me. With us who understand what God has done through Jesus Christ, we ought to be brave in sharing the sins that uh, are destroying our relationships with God and one another. To confess of these things, to bear with one another, to forgive and love and make time to grow together as God brings us all from much diversity into unity with his son together as a family. And so if we long for this sort of fellowship that we see even here, let us start by being an example of that. Let us start with ourselves. Be the church. Love, pray, confess, encourage, rebuke, exhort, sharpen, and actually be here together. I think we've come to neglect how important actually being physically with someone is. As much as I enjoy the technology we have to reach people who are far away, I have friends in Alberta, and I talk to them regularly, it doesn't change how much better it is to actually see them in person, right? To give them a hug, to see how they're doing, to talk to them face to face. Be here, gather together, and worship as the body that God has called us to and God has brought us into. Christianity is not a single-player game. We need one another. Third, we see that they have devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Food is good. I love food. I need food. I love potlucks. Hopefully we do them again soon. Food is, food is good. This reality of their devotion to the breaking of bread met a physical need but also a spiritual one. This phrase of breaking bread was used to describe a meal that they shared together. They gathered together and they ate together. 
They were common meals shared by the disciples of Jesus, these fellow believers caring for one another and tied closely to the teaching and the praise and the prayer and fellowship that they had. There was a need for food, right? Like I said before, as people committed themselves to Jesus, there was great loss and great difficulty, right? And some of the people already didn't have much. But the believers gathered together, sold things of their own possessions, and brought people into their household, into their lives, and fed them, and made food, and gathered together around the table. They met this great physical need, but it also met a great spiritual need as they fellowshiped together, as they prayed together, as they conversed together. This sort of meal came out of a generosity of the heart, and a heart change that was only by the Holy Spirit. Not obligation, not feeling like they had to, they wanted to deeply. Knowing the importance of gathering together and meeting these needs. And when you meet around the table, you're face to face, you're in close quarters. Really, it it often forces conversation to happen. I'm sure we've been around the dinner table before when it's quiet and it's awkward, and there's just often this weird tension as no one's saying anything, right? There's this opportunity that the believers had to show generosity to one another. So God used it to work in people's hearts to show generosity, to give of what they had to say, it's not about me, it's about helping one another. But it was also an opportunity for people to lay down their own pride and say, I'll actually accept your gift, which I think is sometimes harder for us to even do. We love giving because it feels good, but it's hard to receive. It's hard to take that generosity and just say, I can't pay that back. I can't do anything, but I'll receive that generosity. Because that's what we do when we actually come to Christ, right? He has given of himself. He's given this grace, and we receive it. We don't give anything to earn that. So this is great opportunity to give up of selfishness, to put aside pride, and to generously serve one another in this way. And so we see as these believers had things in common, they shared of their wealth to meet the needs of others. Now it could also be pointing a little bit to the Lord's Supper. I think it might foreshadow that or give a taste of that. Solidifying that oneness of believers under the body and blood given by Christ to unite us together with God. But this really is just a common meal that they shared. One of the meals might have been the Lord's Supper, maybe weekly, maybe monthly, maybe annually. But what's described here is just people getting together and eating food and being together. And so it begs the question, are we a hospitable church? Are we inviting others into our lives? Are we generously giving and are we uh, selflessly accepting of these gifts and this generosity? Have we talked with one another? Have we prayed with them? Maybe even opened God's word together with them as we eat around the family table. And so we are a family, so invite one another into your lives. It's okay. Often people, if people have me over, they apologize for the house being messy. I think they forget that I'm a single guy living in a house, and my house is messy all the time, so it's really not a big deal. But people always apologize for it. I think it's funny. I I appreciate it, but my house isn't clean either, so um, I'm just happy to be there to be with you, to gather with you, to to eat together, to pray together, and to share of our lives together. So continue to be hospitable church. Invite people for meals. Don't, you don't have to make it fancy. It's just, it's what, it's what it actually means. Meeting that physical need and being generous with what God has given us to serve and help one another as we gather around that family table. Lastly, 
The fourth one, we see them devoted to prayer. Calling upon the name of God to come through on his promises. As we call upon who God is, his character, to come through on what he has promised us in his word. To pray for his help, to rely on him, to rest in him, to trust in him. We see in this passage that the believers continue to go to the temple together, to go and pray together. These specific times that they set aside to go and pray. But we see throughout Acts that the believers pray on many occasions and not just the times at the temple. We saw them praying beforehand even, right, in Acts 1, as they prayed, as they were preparing for the Holy Spirit to come, as they were praying for Matthias to join them. Prayer is like breathing for the church. It's our reliance on God to work and move powerfully by His Spirit. Because we cannot do this on our own. We cannot live a life of faith and resting in God apart from God's work in our hearts, apart from His Spirit in us. We cannot do what He has called us to do as disciples without prayer, without relying and resting on Him. Because we can accomplish nothing of worth of his will, of his glory, of his kingdom growth, apart from him. As Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. We've already seen prayer being central to the mission that God has set upon these disciples, and that prayer continues because they're resting in God. As they went to the temple, they would break bread together as they sold belongings and as they helped one another, they would pray. They devoted themselves to prayer throughout this time. And the Bible continues to call us to pray. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so I encourage you to pray. Pray for one another. Don't just say, I'll be praying for you, because nine times out of ten we forget. Say, how about I pray for you right now? And pray for them. How much more encouraging for a brother or sister to hear your prayer for them to God. From to hear the words that you bring to our Heavenly Father as you pray for them. I know it's sometimes scary, and it's sometimes Difficult because we don't always know what to say, but that's also okay. It can be a simple, straightforward prayer. God, be with them this week. Give them your strength. Help them to rest in the gospel. <clears throat> We've recently started monthly prayer gatherings on Sunday evening as well, and it's been a joy as we focus our time on praying together for all of you. I encourage you to make prayer a priority in your life. Because as the believers were filled with awe, fear of God, they saw what God was doing as they were devoting themselves to these four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayer. They were in awe of God and what he was doing as he continued to work in and through them as witnesses of his work, but also as instruments of his work. And so we see this then play out. As God works through their devotion to these things, as God works in them by his Holy Spirit, the outcome of this devotion is that they were united. They were united together. This unity was gospel unity. As they rested in Christ, as they devoted themselves to these things, these people were united. You can notice the amount of times this, this little section uses the word all. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. 
They were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Right? They were united together. 3,000 of them. Right? There's about 120 people here, give or so. 3,000. They had unity amongst them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. And so we see that they were all together and they had all in common. And as they did these things, they, it played out in how they lived with one another. So they were together. You can't be unified much if you're not together ever. Notice how as a church we actually do a lot together and in unison, right? We sing together. We listen to God's word together. We pray together. We say amen together, right? We read together and eat together. The unity found in Christ by the Spirit brings us together. They didn't devote themselves to these things and then went off on their own and did it by themselves, right? They did these things devoted together in unity. How can they be taught if they aren't gathered? How can they fellowship if they're not together? How can they break bread and invite people into their homes if they don't do it together? You can't have a Skype meal. I guess you can, but... It's not the same. It's not the same. Right? They naturally desired to be together, to do life together as they lived out of their faith. They were physically together. And this gathering was for all who believed, devoted to the same things, not just some of the people in your church that you like and get along with. They did this together. Any who had need, all together. Right? 3,000 plus and counting, as we see at the very end of Acts 2. They continue to grow. Right? So there's more added. There's new people coming in. And they devoted themselves to these same things and they continued to meet together. <clears throat> and as they were together, as they received these things, they were glad and generous hearts. Do you enjoy and do you long for being with God's people? Or is it an inconvenience for you? Do you drag your feet every Sunday morning really wondering why you even bother going? Do you look forward to being with God's people, or do you look more forward to getting out of the building the moment the service is over? Do you enjoy being with God's people, to be together? And what's your attitude? What's your purpose and motive when you gather together? Are you here to praise God or to be praised? Are you here to confess or are you here to complain? Are you here to forgive and love or fracture and hate? Are you here to do good or to gossip? Are you here to grow in unity with Christ and one another or cause disunity? Because the Bible is very clear of what we are devoted to and what we are to look like. We are to be united in our hearts and that comes through Christ, our faith in Christ and the Spirit upon us. As we gather together, we have this supernatural love and desire to be with one another. Although it's difficult, although we're still sinful, there's still a difference in how we serve and forgive and love one another. We are truly to be unified in Christ. So are we, or do we just have similar interests and are nice people? Or are we made new in Christ Jesus? So they were all together. As we saw that they were day by day attending temple together, breaking bread, praying together, praising God. But they also had all in common. What they had, material-wise, they did not see as their own possession. 
for just themselves, but something that they can use or give to help others in need, that God can use to work through them, to meet the needs of others and point to Him. Right in the next verse, verse 45, we see how this is played out. They sold possessions and belongings, so money was given to those who had need for it. We know that Jesus talked of selling possessions, of loving and caring for the poor and needy, and treasuring not things on earth, but in heaven. And as that kind of mentality, as that heart mentality plays out, we see these kind of actions come through God's people. These believers were living this out practically with one another. They still owned their property, right? They didn't always give up of everything. It wasn't a kind of commune. But they were willing at any point to sell of their own stuff and give of their own stuff to help someone who was more in need than them. Trusting in God to be faithful and generous and bless them and to provide for them, to trust God to, to give them what they needed their daily bread. And I'm sure this kind of attitude came out as they were praying together for these things, as they were praying the Lord's Prayer, right? Lord, give us our daily bread. Give us what we need to meet the needs of these people today. If that means I sell my stuff, so be it, Lord, that you would be glorified, that this person's need would be met. It was a heart of selflessness as they reflected upon the heart of selflessness of Jesus giving up his own life. It was a reaction to a heart change that came through the Holy Spirit within them to reflect that same generous heart of the Father that gave them His Son. The believers did this day by day, as we see in verse 46, as they met together in the temple to pray, to eat. As they gathered together, I'm sure they talked of needs that they had, of things that were going on, of hardships that were coming up in their life because family left them or friends uh, cut them off. But they praised God, and they received this, uh, these gifts from others with generous hearts as they praised God together. It's a beautiful picture of what people of God should live like and the attitude that they should have towards one another. As I said before, it's an opportunity for God to work through you and to bless someone else and for that person to receive a gift and put down the pride that they have, thinking that they can do this on their own. Let us not be too prideful to neglect telling others of our needs that we have. So often we can hide things that are going on in our life and not sharing simple needs, sometimes very deep needs. And allow God to work through fellow believers to help meet those needs. Let us not be too proud. Let us trust God. And so as they devoted themselves to these things, as they were united in these things, what is the outcome? We see one that they had favor with all people. Those on the outside of the early believers saw a difference in this group of people. Saved by grace and dwelled with the Holy Spirit. They saw a dramatic and supernatural way of life that is only possible by the Spirit indwelling these people. This favor, of course, though did not last, as persecution begins early in this church's life. And still today, people will see and should see that we are different. Even, uh, even with persecution coming our way, that we continue to serve God, to be in awe of Him, and to love one another. We also see that they were evangelistic. They, they continued to be kingdom growth. They continued to share the good news of the gospel. They continued to show uh, the love that God has as they faithfully proclaimed it. 
God called people to himself. The Lord added to their number. We see that God is sovereign in the work of his plan to bring a people to himself through the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. As God works through these sinful, broken people, yet unified by the Spirit as they devoted themselves to these things. God added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Verse 47. God's plan for his kingdom will not be thwarted by anything else. And he delights in using those who are weak, those who are lowly, to go and bring forth this amazing news of his kingdom. God can use us and will use us as we are faithful to the mission that he's given us. And so as we come to an end of of chapter 2, I pray that as a church that we would be true believers, biblically devoted and united by the Spirit through the gospel of Jesus and to love one another. This passage in itself may make Christian life seem a little rosy, right? It's like, wow, they, they they loved each other. They really got along well. I'm sure it was still difficult, and we see later on in chapter 6 that there was difficulty, there was problems that came up. We see in chapter 3 that persecution begins. It's about to come. But what we see is that this does not destroy the church, but actually makes it grow. As these people committed and devoted to God's word, committed to one another, they continue to grow and share the good news of the gospel, knowing that not even death can harm them. And so how do we live this out? How do we as a church, true believers, live biblically devoted and united by the Spirit together through the gospel of Jesus? I would just say, look around you. Take a second. Actually do it. Look around you. See these people? These are your church. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Be devoted to them as you grow in God's word, as you grow in prayer together, as you fellowship together, as you break bread together. As a church, we are committed to having the pulpit, table, and square. That's kind of our our vision. So we gather together around the pulpit to preach God's word. We go around the table and we discipleship, and we go out into the square and we evangelize. As we be disciples who are making disciples of Jesus Christ, And so are we devoted to these things? There's tons of opportunity as a church to get involved in discipleship groups, community groups, prayer gatherings, to be hospitable. There are people here right now that I'm sure would love a delicious lunch. Invite them out. Maybe it's an inconvenience. That's okay. Right? Maybe there's a few things you have to twist around to to get it to work, but that's all right. But are we resting in, in God's word as ultimate truth? Are we submitting to that? I pray that we are. Are we gathering around for the right reasons, with the right heart? Do we rest in God by prayer, trusting in Him to accomplish what He has called us to as He works through us? And do we love the church as Christ loves the church? Do we show that love in how we hospitably care for one another and meet the needs of each other? Is our life more important than theirs? Are we devoted to these things that the early church was devoted to? I pray that individually we can be and that united together we will be as we put ourselves together in these kind of devotions of God's word, of prayer, of fellowship, of breaking bread. I pray that we are united by what united this church, the gospel of Christ, as the Spirit dwelled in them. 
that as they devoted themselves to these things together, the world saw that they were different as they loved and served one another, as they loved their heavenly Father. Let us not let the disunity or hate that we may have destroy us as a church, but let us be loving and forgiving, compassionate and repentant. Let us be boldly proclaiming the gospel as we bring God's word to those who are so desperately in need of hearing the good news of Jesus. As they see a devotion and unity to one another, may they see a God who loves and cares for his people. So again, let us be a church of true believers, biblically devoted and united by the Spirit through the gospel to Jesus and to one another. Let us pray.